0: fitting to bring him glory. And so what we see as we look at the life of David um, is we see there's a full example of a man who was taken up in the hand of God, who was shaped and formed, and then who was used uh, and lived a fruitful and productive life, and, and that's there as an example for it. Where we are in chapter 17 is that we're in in the place where God has now um, chosen his clay. He has put his hands in the earth, as it were, and he's pulled up uh, something that he desires to use, and he's going to shape it now into a vessel unto honor. Um, There's a a book called A Tale of Three Kings. It was written by um, a, a man named Gene Edwards. And, um, and he's got an incredible way of writing. He takes the scripture and he dramatizes it and so he he sticks very close to the text, but he preaches through drama and so he'll he'll turn it into like a play or something of that nature um, and 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 he has a book on um, David and Saul and Absalom and the whole dynamic that existed between those three kings. And uh, in the very beginning, he's kind of preparing to, sh- to, to to pave the way for what God is doing in raising up David in the way that he is. And um, there's, a, there's a, a, a paragraph that he uses that always has stuck with me um, in describing this season of David's life, the part that we're looking at right now. And, it, 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 the, the scene is right after, or shortly after, Samuel anoints David. So Samuel came and he dumped the oil on David's head. And, um, and then he leaves, and, and this, this thing begins in David's life. He's now in, in this course. He's, in a sense, as it were, we're in a river. And he's being taken by God. He's going somewhere. And uh, Gene Edwards uses this language. Um, he says, "...quite a day for a young man, wouldn't you say? Uh, then do you find it strange..." that this remarkable event, uh, speaking of David's anointing, uh, led the young man not to the throne, but to a decade of hellish agony and suffering. On that day, David was enrolled, no, not into the lineage of royalty, but into the school of brokenness. And, uh, And I remember when I read that for the very first time, uh, you know, it did something to me. I, I read those words and I considered, you know, David and God and I was considering my own life. And I remember I just stopped for a second and I put the book down and I just prayed and I said, Lord, as, as hard as it is, uh, I want to go into that school if that school is necessary. And, uh, and it is. If anyone is going to be used of God... Um, then it is essential that there be a breaking, that there is a shaping, that there is a, a, a seminary of the Holy Ghost, not a seminary of men, not a schooling. It's not an education but it is something wherein a a, a man uh, is so linked with God that there's a process that begins in his life, uh, and it's a process of building up, and it's a process of breaking, and there are things that God produces within that life that can be produced no other way than by the hand of God. There is no education. You can't learn it from uh, being discipled by someone else. Uh, It can't be by anything other than the hand of God, and the places that he has to bring uh, a man that he's going to use have to be places of isolation. They have to be places of uncharted waters. Uh, things where no one else has ever been there before. Places where you even question within yourself, like, is, is there a God? Is he real? Are you with me? What? Why are you doing this to me? And those things are essential uh, in the shaping of any man. And everyone uh, that will be used of God will go through that, regardless of anything else, your, what education or anything, you'll go through it. And David is going to go through that, and we get to walk with him through the school of brokenness as God uh, shapes and forms his life. But amazing as, as, and, and as astounding as all of that is, even the school of brokenness requires preparation before, before you can begin it. And, and what we see in David now uh, is that he is being prepared for it, uh, in days of uh, victory, in days of uh, excitement, in days of um, you know, prospering in, in his endeavors and in the things that he is doing, because God is preparing him now for the breaking. And so what we see in, in this chapter, what we've seen thus far, and what we see in the second half of it, is essentially the things that David has to um, grow into or overcome uh, on his way towards what God has next for him, he's got a few battles to fight along the way. And so, uh, David and Goliath. We see um, the Philistine has presented himself for forty days. We see that the army of the Philistines is behind their battle lines. The army of Israel is behind their battle lines. Uh, every day, Goliath, nine foot nine, fully armed. Uh, a, 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 a spear the head of which weighs about 15 pounds you can imagine a spear that's head weighs as much as a, a large a heavy bowling ball you know, I mean this man is massive and he presents himself day by day and he just says hey one on one you send your champion I'll represent the Philistines if you can fight, defeat me we can save a whole battle and all this bloodshed will serve you, if I defeat you then you guys serve us and for 40 days he brings this uh, taunting message to Israel, and there's an absolute standstill in the in the um, the battle lines. Nobody uh, on God's uh, side is willing to go out and fight this Philistine. And then David is sent by his father, uh, by the providence of God, on, on a chance to bring some food and some resources to his sons who are fighting in the battle with Saul. And so David comes and he comes into uh, the the neighborhood right about the time of day that Goliath is presenting himself and bringing forth this challenge again. And as David hears the words of this Philistine who demeans the men and then reproaches God by bringing reproach upon him and defying the name of God, something happens in the heart of this young man. We're going to see that he's a child in the text tonight, meaning in in the Hebrew word means that he's somewhere between uh, boyhood and adolescence. He is a young man at this time, but he hears something in the taunting of this Goliath and it resonates with something that's deep inside of David and he hears that challenge in a different way than anyone else in the entire nation heard that challenge wherein all of the other men of Israel saw it completely on the physical plane, David saw it on a spiritual plane. As they all saw it as an earthly uh, um, obstacle that needed to be overcome, David saw it as a spiritual thing through the eyes of God and through the lens of what God has promised to his people. And so his reaction is completely different when he hears this thing. And he finds himself uh, willing to go out and to fight this man with complete faith and confidence that God is going to bring him deliverance. And so as he hears these things, the first uh, obstacle that David has to overcome prior to going into battle with Goliath uh, is that he has to overcome the resistance that he faces from the members of his own family. That's kind of where we left off last week is David's oldest brother, Uh, sought to discourage him. And so David's oldest brother just says to him, he says, what are you doing here? He says, I know your pride and the naughtiness of your heart. You just come here to see the battle. Go back and watch those few sheep, that small number of sheep that's been committed to your care, and you leave all this to us, David. And David has to overcome the obstacle uh, of a family that doesn't have any confidence in him at all. Uh, Jesus said this. Jesus said that a prophet is not without honor. Meaning that the prophet has honor, except in his own house. That it, that, it, that it's the hardest uh, for the people in our own family or the people that are closest to us to recognize the work that God is performing within our life. That's where those things go the most unrecognized. When God calls a person, and every one of us are called of God, he doesn't call us because he sees something in us that's of some good quality. He calls us in spite of us. Meaning he knows what we are. He tells us that that our most righteous deeds are like filthy rags. He tells us that uh, that we are as nothing. He tells us that our heart is deceitful and desperately wicked above all things, more so than we can even know ourselves. That's what God sees. And yet he calls us in spite of all of that, and he begins doing a work within our life. Now, because God's doing a work within our life, it's easy for people that don't know us very well to recognize that work of God. They see the light, they see uh, the good things that God is, is doing and bringing forth and using. But the people that are closest to us, they know us for what we are underneath the surface. They know what we were before we came to Christ. And it's more difficult for them to see beyond the, the substance of the man, to see the shining of the Spirit of God. And so resistance comes. And so I remember as a new believer, there was something very real going on in my life. And I remember hearing uh, you know the Word of God and being affected by it and being changed and, and just seeing truth and seeing spiritual things. And I remember going home. and at that time I wasn't married. I lived with my mother and my brother and my sister. and I went home from church on a Sunday morning being extremely affected that morning by the message. And I asked my mother and my brother and my sister to sit down and I began to share with them uh, the things that God was doing in my life. And I shared with them uh, you know the whole journey, you know what, what my perspective of being raised in a Catholic home, and what it was like, what my concept of God was in that, and how what God had done in my life, through his word and through being born again was so real and so powerful. And, 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 and I really believed as I was sharing with them that they would understand the things that I was saying and that it would affect their lives, especially my mother, who would come in on Sunday mornings and weep at my bedside and beg me to go to church. And now here I am. I'm like, she's definitely going to be so excited to hear all these things going on in my life. And the stone cold resistance... That I faced after sharing them, that uh, with that uh, was unlike anything I, I could ever comprehend or imagine. I mean, they just began to throw my sins right in my face, mm-hmm. and just be, be even my mother. Yeah, well, I know I know some things about you, Mister Holy, <laughs> you know, and uh, and and that's exactly what's going on with David right now in the text. I remember um, Georgia, who had gotten saved just a couple of years before me, and you know we got married and our, our parents knew fully, very soon, very quickly, that we fully intended to raise our kids in the faith, to the, to the furthest degree that it was possible for us to raise them that way. And we met with uh, quite a strong resistance from her parents, and one of Georgia's parents said to her that if we knew that you were going to be like this, we would have raised you Catholic. <laughs> Just because they even they knew that that would produce a nominal uh, religion religious expression at best, you know, and uh, and there was an incredible resistance that came. Um, it always comes from the house, and it's something that must be overcome. So you say, well, how do you overcome that? How do you overcome uh, the resistance that is presented by members of your own family? There's two ways that you do it: consistency and time. That's how you do it consistency and time. We, we cannot help the impression that people have on, of us and the, the things that they think or the things that they see. We have no control over that. If they choose to look at us as what we were, then that's their choice. We can't affect that even in the slightest. But what we can do is that we can continue to grow in our faith and cultivate the fruit of the Holy Spirit in our lives and allow Christ to change us from the inside out And then we can live that in front of them. And then in time, as they observe that consistency and they see that transformation, the Spirit of God has a chance to work upon their hearts and let the witness of His change in us work in them as they observe our lives. And that's the way it works. And so we've seen now, walking with the Lord for 17 years, we've seen a radical transformation in the way that our families view us. The resistance that we once faced from home is now met by acceptance because they see the work of God and they see that there's a legitimacy, not because we're perfect or truly holier than them, but because there's a consistency within our lives and and there's uh, um, there's been a demonstration of it over time, and so they've let it in. But David has to overcome the opposition or the resistance that came from home. The second thing that David needs to overcome uh, in this, as he as he as he moves towards his battle with Goliath, is that he needs to overcome uh, the experience of the experts. Notice what happens next as we resume in verse 31. It says, and when the words were heard, which David spoke, so David wanting to go into this battle with the Philistine, it says, they rehearsed them before Saul, and so they bring the message to Saul, and they said, hey, we found someone who's willing to go and fight this Philistine, and so Saul says, bring him over, so Saul sent for him, and so David comes, and he says to Saul. Now, before David even opens his mouth, you gotta wonder what's going on in the mind of this king as he just sees the child approaching him. Saul, the Bible says, he's head and shoulders taller than anyone else. He's he's, you know, covered in, in the army the armor of Israel as we're about to see. And here comes this little shepherd boy carrying a staff and he's got a sling hanging out of his back pocket. And there's a little choir boy who's pretty good looking and kind of rough around the edges that comes up and he's he's walking up like kind of like that you know the rooster from Looney Tunes the little one I forgot his name you know just like put him up you know he's just, <laughs> and here's this little guy and so here he comes and now 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 if you want to add to that now the young man speaks so David said to Saul let no man's heart fail because of him thy servant will go and fight with this Philistine you know. Notice the word that David uses there. He says, let no man's heart fail because of him. Do you remember back uh, in our last study, we looked at the, um, the reaction, if you, if, if you remember from um, verse 11 of the same chapter, it says that when Saul and all Israel heard these words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. And that word dismayed, it means crippled with fear it means that 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 everyone had absolutely nothing left within them they were completely debilitated by what was before them and and so david comes in and he says don't let that happen to any of you because of this philistine he says don't let your heart fail now amazingly i don't i don't know if david knew it or not but he's basically quoting scripture it's deuteronomy chapter 20 i want you to hear what god says through moses concerning warfare or battle. God says this. He says, When you go out to battle against your enemies, and you see horses and chariots and a people more than you, be not afraid of them, for the Lord your God is with you, which brought you up out of the land of Egypt. And it shall be that when you come near unto the battle, that the priest shall approach and speak to the people, and shall say unto them, Hear, O Israel... You approach this day unto battle against your enemies. Let not your hearts faint. Fear not and do not tremble, neither be ye terrified because of them. For the Lord your God is he that goeth with you to fight for you against your enemies to save you. Now imagine the scene had this actually happened on the the day when Goliath first presented himself in the battle, if they actually had a priest stand before the people of God and speak these words, I wonder wonder if maybe the outcome might have been a little bit different. I mean, remember what Goliath said? I am a Philistine, and you're servants of Saul, and you have nothing against me. That was what the people heard, and it inflicted them with fear. But if a priest had stood before them and said these things, oh yeah! Maybe it would have triggered the memory in their mind. God is with us. Joshua, Jericho, Canaan, the conquest. That's right. God is with us. But no one did until David. And because there was no priest, God used a child. And a small child came in front of the king and uttered the words that God said should have been the words of a priest. He said, let no man's heart fail. David's perspective was a scriptural perspective. Let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight this Philistine. And Saul said unto David, you are not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him. Now, remember again, the taunting of Goliath. Remember what he said? His exact words were, if any man be able to come and fight against me. That's what Goliath said. If any man be able. And the assessment within the individuals was, we are not able to go and fight against this man. And now Saul takes the scientific inability that he faced, and he tries to project it upon David. He says, you are not able. And the reason you are not able, he says, is because you are but a youth, and he is a man of war from his youth. So the opinion of the expert in all of this is that David is unable to go into this battle and to take down this giant because of the fact that he is small, because he is young, because he is inexperienced, because he doesn't have the expertise of war that this man Goliath has, who is a man of war from his youth. And so the expert weighs the statistics against what he sees in David, and he concludes, you are not able. Now, every one of us in every uh, endeavor that we face within our lives has to go up against the experts, don't we? The people that tell us what we can never be, what we can never do, sometimes it's the voice that's in our own head that comes and says that you can never You can never endeavor to to be used of God in some way because of, and then then you lay it out right there in front of it. What we need to remember is that with God, nothing is impossible. And if God calls us to be something or do something, or if God tells us to go and do something, then it doesn't matter what the experts say, or it doesn't matter how the odds stack up against us. And so David has a very uh, interesting choice right now that he has to make and an an interesting dilemma to face. Number one, do I go with the opinion of the experts and, and come in line and file in behind what everybody else says I'm supposed to be and what I can do and what I can't do? Or do I listen to what God says in his word that I am and what I'm to be and what I'm to do? And do I follow what I feel he's leading me to do and obey him rather than the word of men? That's the dilemma that David is facing at this point. And I love the choice that David makes. Listen to the way he responds to Saul. I love David's strength, standing before the king of Israel, and yet you know uh, feels bold enough to speak <clears throat> these words. It says in verse thirty-four that David said unto Saul, "Thy servant kept his father's sheep, and there came a lion and a bear and took a lamb out of the flock." Now that's something that that, that can happen and does happen to a shepherd when he's watching sheep. There are uh, predators that come and seek to, to steal something out of the flock. And David says, this is how I handled that situation, verse 35. He says, and I went out after him and I smote him and delivered it, that is the lamb, out of his mouth. And when he arose against me, so I went up and I punched the lion in the face. That's what he says. I punched the bear in the face when he took the lamb. And he let go of the lamb, and he turned his attention then towards me (laughs) at that point. And when he arose against me, I caught him by his beard and smote him and slew him. Ah, That's wild. (laughs) That's radical, you know, that's cool. You You look at that, and you're like, man, I want to see that on YouTube, and I want to do that. I want to try it, you know. He says, Thy servant slew both the lion and the bear, and this uncircumcised Philistine. That's what he is. He's an uncircumcised. He's not an Israelite. He's out of covenant with God. He says, He shall be as one of them. Now, why is he as one of them? Because he's seeking to do the same thing. The Philistines were seeking to encroach upon the territory of God. This was God's land, these were God's people and this Philistine is nothing but a predator who's seeking to snuff out something that belongs to God. And he says, as he uh, uh, the, the Philistine shall be as one of them seeing that he has defied the armies of the living God. And David said, moreover, the Lord the Lord that delivered me out of the paw of the lion and out of the paw of the bear, he will deliver me out of the hand of this Philistine. And so Saul said unto David, Go, and the Lord be with you. The, the, the third thing that David needed to overcome, which was essential uh, before he would go in and fight against this giant, is that he had to overcome the days of small things. He had to overcome the days of small things. In Zechariah chapter 4, in verses 8 through 10. I'm going to read it to you. The prophet Zechariah says this. He says, Moreover, the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, The hands of Zerubbabel have laid the foundation of this house, and his hands also shall finish it. And you shall know that the Lord of hosts he has sent me unto you. For who has despised the day of small things? For they shall rejoice and shall see the plummet in the hand of Zerubbabel with those seven. They are the eyes of the Lord which run to and fro through the whole earth. The context of the prophet Zechariah's message in that day was when the children of Israel were rebuilding the temple of God after they had come back from captivity. and The whole thing was in ruins. And Zerubbabel was the foreman of the, the project and was in charge of seeing it through from start to finish. And the people became discouraged during the process because of how long it was taking uh, and how little it seemed was being accomplished. And so they had to first clean out the rubble of the old. Then they had to dig, dig deep to lay the foundation for the new. Then they had to set the foundation for the new. And all of that had to be done before any forward progress of building uh, was accomplished. And the people were growing weary and discouraged. And the message that the Lord brought to the people through the prophet Zechariah was, who has despised the days of small things? For they will rejoice because they, they will see the finished product happen just the same. There is uh, something that happens in each one of our lives that's very similar. It's a very similar dynamic. And that is that God is, is doing a work He's bringing us to a place. But part of that process of bringing us to that place is what the Bible would call here the days of small things. The days where we, 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 we see very little being accomplished and yet long periods of time are passing. But we begin to say, God, where are you in the midst of all of this? David was a man who very much had a sense of destiny. He had a sense that God had a call on his life. He had a sense that there was something great that he was going to be and going to do. He had been anointed and it had been confirmed by Samuel through the horn of oil. And yet it seems that nothing but time is passing and nothing is happening in in the forming of that plan. But that's not not exactly true. Because on a day when David thought there was nothing happening at all, there's no forward progress, a lion and a bear seek to steal a lamb out of the flock. And David could just see that as this is all in a day's work. We can either give up this lamb and say, oh, I can't fight that lion. I don't have what it takes. Well, oh, well, I'll go home and tell my father we lost one. Or I can fight against him and try to deliver. It's just another day on the job. No, it's not just another day on the job. Because David going to fight against this lion and this bear is preparing him to have the confidence and the courage to go in against something that's way bigger sometime down in the future. And, and, and in order for us to be ready in the day of big things, we must first overcome in the day of small things. Because victory in the small things is what prepares us for victory in the big things. And if we don't fight and face the small things, then we won't be prepared in the days of big things or great things. And so David's experience... And slaying this lion and this bear in the insignificant thing was the foundation for his faith and boldness to be able to go and fight this Philistine in the day of battle against the Philistines. And so it will always be true with us. It is true, and I've said this before, that the the, the trials that we face, and sometimes the trial of just patiently waiting, sometimes those things can be extremely difficult. But do you know what's more difficult than the daily trials that we face? is coming to the day when God has something great for you and not being prepared for it. That's extremely difficult. And David doesn't find himself in that place. He rose up in that day when there was a small battle, and it prepared him for the day when there was a big battle. And so um, Saul gives his blessing. He said to David, go, and the Lord be with you. And so Saul armed David with his armor. And he put a helmet of brass upon his head, and he also armed him with a coat of mail. And so Saul didn't want to go into the battle, but Saul wanted his armor in the battle. (laughs) And uh, as we've seen from Saul already, you can only imagine why this is of interest to Saul. Uh, He wants to take credit for it in the end. And so David girded his sword (laughs) upon his armor. And he essayed to go. I mean, he 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 meant to go. He wanted to go. He intended to go this way, but he had not proved it. He had tested Saul's armor, and so David said unto Saul, "I cannot go with these, for I have not proved them." And David put them off from him. The next thing that David need, needs to overcome before he can go into battle with Goliath is he needs to overcome uh, his own sense of inadequacy. Um, Saul was the expert in, in this uh, endeavor. He was the captain. He was the one that was there. And he had the greatest armor. He had the greatest sword. We're going we're gonna to see later on uh, in, in, the, um, in the story of David that not everyone in the army even had swords. Saul and Jonathan did because they were captains, but most of the people just had uh, common things that they would have in their hands. You know, um, farms, instruments, and things of that nature. But Saul had a sword, and he gives it to David here, and David takes the weapons of the expert into, in, you know, to, to go into the battle, and then he realizes, this isn't my armor. This isn't the way that I fight. This isn't what God has given me and put into my hands in, in order to fight with. And so David says, I can't take these things into the battle. And what does he do instead? Notice in verse 40. It says that he took his staff... Took a shepherd's staff in his hand, and he chose him five smooth stones out of the brook, and he put them in a shepherd's bag, which he had even in a script, and his sling, the slingshot that they would use, which was in his hand, and he took those things and he drew near to the Philistine. David realized that if he was going to be victorious in this battle, that he was going to be victorious using the things that God had given to him, not the things that God had given to someone else. It's a common thing for us to think that someone else is more qualified or that the gifts or the tools or the weapons that someone else has are greater than the things that God has given me. And it's Possible for us to think that there's someone else that if we had their skill or their ability, then we would be better off within this life. And that is never true. If God wanted two of someone else and none of you, then he would have made two of someone else and none of you. But God has made each one of us the way that he's made us. He's given us the gifts and strengths and talents and callings that he's given to each one of us. And those are the things that God is going to use within our lives. And any time we as individuals endeavor to use something that someone else has, or to emulate something that someone else has, in order to be effective ourselves, then we're weakening ourselves because that's not what God has given to us. God is always going to use in and through your life the things that he has given to you. He has made you and I uniquely the way that he wants to use us. And when you look at the history of God from Genesis to Revelation and you see the way that God uses men and women, he uses them according to what he has given them and gifted them to do. And so we see Peter and Andrew. What did they have in their hand? They had a net, right? And they were casting their nets. And what did Jesus say? He said, from henceforth, you will catch men. I'm going to use the things that I've given to you to be effective for me within my life. James and John. They were mending a net. And thus, James and John, strengtheners of the church, those that would feed and those that would equip. We see Matthew sitting at the receipt of custom, a record keeper. How did God use him? He used to record one of the four Gospels and put into it details as the pen of a scribe, bringing things from the Old Testament and showing how Jesus is the fulfillment of them. We look at Paul, and what was his thing? He was administrating and facilitating the death of Christians, bringing letters from the high priest to Damascus to persecute and to arrest and kill the Christians. And how did God use Paul? He used him in the same way, to be a messenger, one that would go about to the churches, and one that would write letters then to the churches. That's who Paul was. Moses was a shepherd. And God asked him, and he said, Moses, what's in your hand? And, and Moses replied, and he said, well, there's the staff. And God said, well, throw it on the ground. And he turned it turned into a thing. will pick it up again, and turn it turned into a staff. That's what God used. He used the staff that was in Moses' hand. That's what opened up the Red Sea. That's what did the, the works, and the raising and the lowering of the staff. Joshua, What was in his hand? A sword. Why? Because he was the general. He was the one that led the army of Israel in his day. And how did God use Joshua? He used him as a general. And so God uses what he's given to us. And so never think that what we, you are is inadequate because you're not what someone else has. God has given to you and I uniquely the things that he wants to use within our lives. And he has no limitations. David doesn't need a sword and a spear to take down a giant because God hasn't given him a sword and a spear to do it. And so David confidently takes what he has and what he knows, and he brings those things then into the battle. And so it tells us there then in verse 41, it says that the Philistine came on and drew near unto David. And the man that bare the shield went before him. And when the Philistine looked around and saw David, he disdained him, for he was but a youth, and ruddy and of a fair countenance, a little choir boy. Mm-hmm. And the Philistine said unto David, Am I a dog that you come to me with staves, with a staff? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. And the Philistine said to David, Come to me, and I will give uh, thy flesh unto the fowls of the air and to the beasts of the field. Then said David to the Philistine, You come to me with a sword, and with a spear, and with a shield. But I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom thou hast defied. And this day will the Lord deliver you into my hand, and I will smite you and take your head from thee and will give the carcasses of the host of the Philistines this day unto the fowls of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth. Why? That all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. Amen. Do you see that David is jealous for the glory of God? He's not in it for anything else other than the fact that this Philistine has defied God and it's for the glory of God. And then he goes on further in verse 47. And all this assembly that is the host of the Philistines and the host of the Israelites, shall know that the Lord saves, not with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's and he will give you into our hands. Five times in David's little reply to the Philistine, he mentions the Lord. The Lord will deliver you Uh, um, He says that you might know that there's a God in Israel. Know that the Lord saves, that the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hands. This is not about me. This is not about Israel or the Philistines. This is about the living God. And you're about to meet him, Goliath. And so it came to pass. Now, amazing. What an anticlimactic battle. This would not sell too many tapes in Hollywood. <laughs> it says that it came to pass that when the Philistine arose and came in nigh to meet David, and the drums were sounding, and no, none of that, <laughs> that David hastened. And he ran toward the army to meet the Philistine, probably something that Goliath had never seen before in his life, someone running towards him. He didn't know how to fight with someone running towards him. He only knew how to fight with people running away from him, you know. And David put in his hand or put his hand in the bag and he took from thence a stone and slang it and smote the Philistine in his forehead that the stone sunk into his forehead and he fell upon his face to the earth. That's it. I mean, where is the, you know, when Goliath grabbed David by the foot and David squared away and then Goliath prevailed for a little while, but then, you know, Saul raised his hand and then when Saul's hands were raised, David prevailed and, and, you know, where's the battle? I mean, he takes a sling, he did one shot right between the eyes and it says that he fell on his face to the earth. So David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and with a stone. Didn't need a sword. Didn't need a spear, didn't need a shield. He used a sling and a stone. He used what was in His hand. And God will use what's in your hand, not just to slay the giants in your life, but to answer the call, whatever that call is and whatever it looks like, to lead your family. God is going to use what's in your hand to be successful in your endeavor and what God's called you to be in this world. You're going to be successful, not with what someone else has, but what's in your hand. And he smote the Philistine, and he slew him. But there was no sword in the hand of David. Therefore David ran, and he stood upon the Philistine. How big was this guy? Hmm. <laughs> David's got to climb up. It's like Gulliver's Travels. You know? <laughs> and he stood upon the Philistine, and he took his sword and drew it out of the sheath thereof, and slew him, and cut off his head therewith. And when the Philistines saw that their champion was dead, they fled. And then the protesters came out and said, no more hate, no more war. (laughs) (laughs) And the men of Israel and of Judah arose, and they shouted, and they pursued the Philistines until you come to the valley, to the gates of Ekron. And the wounded of the Philistines fell down by the way to Shaharim, even to Gath and unto Ekron. And the children of Israel returned from chasing after the Philistines and they spoiled their tents. And David took the head of the Philistine, I love this part, and brought it to Jerusalem. That's about 25 miles. (laughs) He's carrying this head. I can't imagine it was light, but there's probably quite an adrenaline rush after a, a victory like that. And the children of Israel returned from chasing after the Philistines and spoiled their tents. Oh, I read that, sorry. Uh, Verse 55. And when Saul saw David go forth against the Philistine, he said unto Abner, the captain of the host, Abner, whose son is this youth? And Abner said, As thy soul liveth, O king, I cannot tell. And the king said, Inquire thou whose son the stripling is. And so David, as David returned from the slaughter of the Philistine, Abner took him and brought him before Saul with the head of the Philistine still in his hand. And Saul said to him, whose son are you, thou young man? And David answered, I am the son of thy servant Jesse, the Bethlehemite. Now, why Saul so concerned about whose son this is? Remember the promise that Saul had made? That whoever slays this giant, his father's house will be made free in Israel, no more taxes and all that. I think Saul knows who David is. David's already played for him uh, in, you know, in the whole thing and been his armor bearer for a season. So I don't think Saul was that crazy at this point that he doesn't know, have any idea who David is. But at this point, he's like, whose family is this? Where are you from? You <laughs> know, who are you? You know, to this young man, and he and he inquires uh, in, in in this whole thing. And so the battle, somewhat anticlimactic. The cleanup uh, just kind of happens. after the thing. But what is all this about? This whole uh, thing of David and, and his slaying of this giant and uh, this part uh, of David's life. I believe that this this uh, passage of scripture serves by way of application. For you and I, as a testimony of faith uh, in the omnipotent favor of God. What can be accomplished by faith in the omnipotent favor of God? When God called Abraham and gave to him the promise concerning his destiny and his son, in, in chapter 17, verse 1, God said to Abraham, He says, I am Almighty God. Walk before me, and be thou perfect, or be thou complete, or wholehearted towards me. It's the first time in the Bible that God identifies himself that way to man as Almighty God. El Shaddai, the Almighty. And what the word Almighty means is all-powerful. We use the word in our language, omnipotent. Meaning that there is absolutely no limit to the power of God. Of God. And that's the person of our God. That's who we serve. We serve a God who says that nothing will be impossible to him. To the prophet Jeremiah, God said, I am the God of all flesh, and nothing is too hard for me. Nothing will be impossible for me. When Gabriel came and visited Mary and said that she would give birth, though she had never been married and never been with a man, she questioned the impossibility of the claim. And she said, how can this be, being that I'm a virgin? And the angel looked back at Mary, and he said that that thing which will be conceived in your womb will be conceived of the Holy Ghost. And then he said this, for with God, nothing shall be impossible. When the disciples were told by Jesus that it would be easier for a camel to squeeze through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God, The disciples asked the question, they said, who then can be saved? And Jesus said, with men it is impossible, but with God nothing shall be impossible. And the fact of the person of the God that we serve is that he is um, an omnipotent God, meaning that he is all-powerful. Nothing is too hard for him. And when you begin to just think about that for a moment, and think about what it means that God is all powerful or that God is omnipotent or what it means that his strength and his ability is infinite meaning that there is no limit to his power none none at all so just for 1 minute just think about something if you were to think about think about the the the, the task that required the most power that you could ever even imagine. I mean, even beyond anything you've ever thought about before. And you're just going to take that task and the amount of power that it would take to be that person or that being that can accomplish that task. And you were to put that on this side of a scale that had a balance in it. No matter what that task was, the amount of power on the other side of the scale is still infinitely greater than what it takes to do this task on this side. Can you see that? All powerful. That's what omnipotent means. Meaning that God is always more powerful than what the task requires, no matter what it is. That's the God that we serve. And so David had faith in that omnipotence that it doesn't matter how big Goliath is when you measure his strength against what I can do. God is infinitely more powerful than what he is. And David understood that. That's the omnipotence. But that's not just the faith that David had. It wasn't just the omnipotence, it was the omnipotent favor of God that he had. Meaning that David had to then not just believe that God was able to conquer Goliath, he believed that, but he had to believe that God was willing to give David that kind of power when it was in his purposes. That God would have enough favor with David that David would then be able to use that power that God would give to then slay the giant. Now, I propose that's where we struggle. If I were to poll the audience and say, how many of you don't believe that God is strong enough to empower you to, you know, slay a giant or whatever it is, no none of us would raise our hand. We know that God's powerful enough. But if I said this, how many of us doubt that God is willing to impart to us the power to do what it is that's before us, then I think the hands would begin to raise, wouldn't they? You know, we'd begin to think, well, that, you know, yeah, I know he can. My question is, I'm not sure that he will. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure that he wants to. And what sets David apart from everyone else is that David not only believed that God could, but he believed that God wanted to and that God would and that he was qualified in that whole thing how does one know whether God wants you to is it a feeling that you get David did it completely by the word of God right David knew that this man was defying the armies of the living God and David was jealous for the glory of God right and so David David knew that God was going to do it he knew because God said not one of your enemies is going to stand before you and so it is in in the battles that we face whether they're the personal things or whether it's the venture that we're called into in ministry, no matter what it is that God's called us to do, what has he spoken in his word? He said that none of your enemies will be able to stand before you. And so do we have faith in the omnipotent power of God? When Jesus' Jesus' disciples came to him and they said, Lord, teach us to pray, And Jesus gave them the words. The very first thing that Jesus said to his disciples was, when you pray, say, Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be your name. That the very first thought that should come across the screen of our minds when we're approaching our God is that he is our Father, that he is in heaven. That speaks of his power. It speaks of his authority. And the fact of his holiness, that he is completely separate or other than anything else. And when that becomes my focus and my understanding and my perception of God in terms of my relationship with him, it changes my perspective completely towards what it is that I'm facing or what it is that's coming against me. He's my father. So he's not going to lead me into something and purpose my defeat within that something. He's in heaven, meaning that he sees it for what it is. And he's able to impart to me the power that I need to face that difficulty within my life. So do I have faith in the omnipotent favor of God? David serves for us as an example of what it means to have that uh, within our lives. And so sometimes for you and I, it, it may be a calling that God has put before us. There's something deep inside, there's a calling that's something that God has put within our hearts to do. And it seems like the amount of power or the amount of whatever it's going to take in order for me to fulfill that calling is just beyond what is my ability to do. It might be, but it's not beyond God's ability to do. And he may be calling to stand up, to rise up. Think of this young man. Look at this young man, David. He was a youth. And he was jealous for the glory of God. And there was no limitation in the heart of this young youth. Though his family thought he couldn't do it, though the king thought he couldn't do it, this young man did it. God give us youth like this. It might be something in your life that he's calling you to put to death. There may be a personal giant. Something that keeps showing its ugly head within your life something that for 40 days presents itself, something that maybe for 40 months has presented itself, for 40 years has presented itself, morning and evening in the face of God, in the word of that, something to you is that you cannot put this down. We rise up against it. It may be something as simple as God is asking you to embrace something within your life that He has ordained to fulfill His purposes a challenging situation and God says embrace it by faith. See me as your father and understand that I've allowed this to happen within your life to fulfill and to serve my purposes. What giant, what battle will we face? Will we face it like David? Well, the breaking will now begin. David has a history with God. There's things happening within his heart and life. God is showing himself to be with David. And now David will be fully prepared. The faith is there. The heart is there. Now God will sanctify the life.